I think it's important to have some really biblically grounded goals before you even try to build anything. Before I want to talk to a volunteer about joining my team, I need to be able to explain to them what they're joining. I don't want to say, hey, we're making a benevolence or a crisis care team. We're going to build it as we go. I want to present something that's well-made to them so they felt they, they know what their, their role is and they understand what the mission statement is. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. Hey, and welcome. I'm Laura Howe, and on the show today, we are talking about multi-campus care ministry, and I am so honored to have the incredible Liz Addington from Elevation Church. Now, in the fall, I had the privilege to actually go to Charlotte and meet with Liz and meet the team, and we both thought we were just having a polite one-hour meeting, but it turned into a five-hour hangout with a new friend. Man, I love Liz, and we keep in touch still. This podcast, you are going to hear fun-loving Liz who would cross the world for her daughter, an advocate for the marginalized, and someone who is passionate about her care team. In planning to go to Elevation, I was kind of expecting to meet a team of people who had it all together. They were the experts, the best of the best, serving out of their expertise, and I was going to learn so much from them. And while much of this is true, I did learn a lot, and the team at Elevation are highly skilled and are leading incredible ministries. I was actually really surprised at how similar it was to my rural church back in Canada. Like all of us, Still, Elevation struggles with limited resources to house people, to support recovery, and to provide basic needs. They have to be creative in building trust and intentional at nurturing partnerships. I don't know exactly what I was expecting when I went there, but I certainly didn't think that it would be so familiar to my local church. As you listen to Liz share about how she leads a multi-campus ministry, I don't want you to think, oh my goodness, this church is so large, mine is so much smaller, are they, are they have more resources than we do. I actually want you to listen for the familiar. Listen for the heart and the desire to serve. Because it doesn't matter if you're a single campus or a multi-campus, people are people and care is care. Care is the same. It needs to be creative and it needs to be intentional and it is impactful to individuals. In the podcast, you're going to love Liz. She is a complete gem. And like me, she gets excited about systems and processes while at the same time, she oozes compassion and is driven by justice. Liz grew up amidst a lot of trauma and had ample opportunity to become hard and jaded. But by the grace of God and with incredible mentors, She turns suffering into purpose and now walks with those who are broken so that they too can find hope and love. Ren, I've been so excited about this conversation, this right here. (laughs) So this morning um, I had a meeting at a coffee shop and I was thinking about that question because I have been blessed with like a lot that would probably take the whole podcast if I could sit here and (laughs) honor some of the amazing women that have like stepped into my life and just spoken to me and fed my soul. And so I was meeting with um, a lady at a coffee shop and my favorite mentor um, came in and and I haven't seen her in like five or six years. It's been years since I've seen her. And I thought, oh, how awesome. She's a a lady that knew me back in high school when I I was kind of living on the streets. And um, she was part of a youth group that I attended and she just fed my soul in ways that I didn't think at the time I was so angry and so hurt. And she saw me and she just spoke truth into me that I had a hard time accepting. But even to this day, I I can remember it and pull it back out. It's become part of who God created me to be a core truth that I hold on to. And so, um, yeah, I think her name is Stacy. She's an amazing lady, but um, shout out to Stacy. Yeah, she's, I mean, just mind blowing. Just 
she took me through high school years where I was trying to like figure out, was it worth being alive? Just being very blunt and and honest. Mm -hmm. And, and then into my twenties when I was really angry with God for some of the things that had happened to me. And she she took all that anger and, and answered all my questions and pointed me back to some very amazing biblical truths, which is priceless when you're you're processing trauma. It's yeah, mm-hmm. I love her. She's so great. Oh, that's amazing to hear how Stacy was able to be patient with you and mm-hmm. and and sit with you in the middle of that. It, to, by the sounds of it, it's that she didn't try to fix or change right. or or shift your thinking, but kind of walked with you through that. Um, Stacy was able not only just to sit with me. She was patient. Like you, you mentioned, she mentioned being patient. She didn't have the answers. And I think she had every right to not deal with my anger. She had every right to go, you know, just get over it. Or, or like you allude to a fix, like here, just go do this or, or, you know, shift me away to someone else, go to a therapist. So go to this, go do that. And, but it, she had the wisdom and the discernment to just sit and listen and um, instead of coming up with a fix, she's pulling out what Jesus said, and she's pulling out the Bible. Instead of trying to find the newfangled thing, like oh, if you take this medicine, or you know, you go to this therapist, or if you try this hypnosis, she was willing to allow me to to vent my frustrations and and be human and say I don't have the answers, but here's what the Bible tells us. You know, at that time I was really angry about the way things had had happened and what God had allowed me to, to endure. And, mm-hmm. um, I call it my David phase <laughs> where I felt really comfortable telling God some things that probably should not have been said and, and, and a lot of anger conversations. And she, she let me process that and, and just continuously put me back into the word. Well, let, what does the Bible say about it? And look, here's in the Psalms where David is so angry and, and mm-hmm. here's what he says. Um, and so it wasn't a solution. It was a walking along, which is something you and I've discussed before. Instead of of trying to come up with a fix or trying to make the problem go away or make it, you know, she wasn't a project manager. She was my friend and she walked with me together, mm-hmm. not with a solution and not as like a savior, but as my friend. Mm, it's so good because oftentimes we think that we have to have the answers. We have to know what every, you know, referral out there or therapy practice or even what the Bible says in every circumstance or, you know, but being a friend, being a listener and being patient and your response initially, your first response is kindness. Man, that is transformative for people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not easy to do. Mm, no, it is not. No, it <laughs> is nature not. Nature wants us to fix it. Like we just want to yeah. jump right in and fix it. And that's not what God called us to do. No, it is not. It is not. So your story starts out um, experiencing trauma, experiencing upheaval and lots of change, lots of change in your life. And then you meet um, Stacy and you begin youth group and and what is that journey as a young adult finding about who you are and what God called you to be? Um, I think about high school years I had this calling um, I was sitting in an experience or a service depending on how your church phrases it <laughs> and a missionary was speaking about how he had gone to Africa or some far off country. And I apologize. I don't remember all the details, but he was talking about women who had been abused and how he, you know, he and his group of missionaries had like made their lives better and done all of these things. And I remember sitting there going, well, I've experienced that. I could probably help with that kind of thing. Mm. Um, (laughs) This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm that's, it's got to be the reason for all of this pain and all of this trauma over years and years and years. And it continuously happens. Like, this has got to be the point, right? Um, and I remember, like, holding on to that growing up, wanting to just, God, there's there's got to be a reason. And there's something that you've made me to be. And unfortunately, it was not on Liz's time zone. <laughs> um I feel like I was like, oh, you think that's what you want? Let me show you what Liz, what God's timing looks like opposed to Liz's timing. Um, because of necessity, I worked in the banking industry for about 20, 25 years. I was mm-hmm. a single mom um, and banking paid the bills and I was good at it. And um, 
I'm extremely grateful for the job. And I was able to serve. I think Emily was in middle school, my daughter, and it got to the point where I thought, we've just come so far, and I know God wants me to do something with this. There's, I, I have a view of it that's different than maybe the average person. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a heart for it. I want to serve people that are, have gone through things. If people hadn't served me, I would not be alive today. I've got to do something with this. Um, and I, I didn't want my daughter forgetting where we came from. I wanted her to remember where her family had come from and how good our God is and how much God had done for us. It wasn't like we had fancy cars or a house. We were still living budget to budget, but God had done a lot. And the best way to remember that is to go back. And so um, I just wanted us to serve. And it ended up being something we started here at Elevation, actually. They had such a great outreach program that let my underage child come with me to serve at events. And we started serving. And it actually just became the thing our family did. Um, Mm. You know, whatever free moment we have that I wasn't at work, she wasn't at school. We were trying to find a way to help. Uh, It was and it, it was great. It, it's one thing to look at people uh, to go to shelters and to go to the battered women's shelters and look people in the eye and go, hey, I actually used to sleep in this bed that you're sitting on right now. And I know what you're going through and I I, I can't fix it, but I understand it. And you're not alone. No one's looking down at you. I'm looking you straight in the eye. And I, I say me too. Um and that just became the lifeblood for my family for so many years. We served for about 10 years um, as an acting director at a couple of the campuses here with Elevation. And it just, yeah, it, I tried not to do it for a while. And, and, <laughs> and it, it got really, really hard. And it was probably one of the worst times of my life. Um, and we just couldn't stop. I wow. just can't. I, I don't know how. It sounds really very cliche and very like Hallmark movie, you know, <laughs> horses coming on over the field. But it's it, it just feels right in my heart. And even when mm-hmm. it's a bad day, it feels right in my heart. It gives purpose to yeah. the pain, to use the cliche statement. Um, but I also am able to provide a layer of insight that not everybody has, Um well, using some of that banking corporateness that that God thought was a good yeah. rest stop <laughs> for a while. Yeah, there's a couple of things in there that you said that I think I just want to highlight that when we are looking in our local churches for volunteers, we often try to look for the people who have it all together because they're they're you know they have the label of high capacity volunteers. They have made it, they've achieved it, they have a business or they have a home or they have a successful right. marriage in the cars. But oftentimes those who can provide the most compassionate and insightful care and who are the people who are compelled to care for others are those who have gone through suffering themselves. Friend, I did not have it all together. And um, I remember doing a couple events and going to the leader at the time and saying, hey, I will clean the toilets. I know that I am probably not the person you want going or talking to some of your partners, but I will do whatever it is. And he said, Hey, you're actually just the person I want. And, um, you're right. I, I, the people that have, have felt the need are the ones that want to come back and give back. Mm -hmm. Um, don't, don't overlook them. There's some hard workers in there and they, they have big hearts. Yeah. And I can resonate a little bit with your story of um, timing (laughs) and being in a place where you thought, what, how is God going to use this? This just feels like a placeholder before I do what I'm called to do. But yet you're right. God is so faithful and he uses every opportunity. Does not, you know, doesn't cause suffering or doesn't cause hardship or frustration or delay, but he's able to utilize those for, for good. And being able to now in the role that you are now use those 20 years of banking and corporate and, and, you know, training and systems planning all now for the kingdom, which is the coolest full circle moment. Yeah, I um, would not have said that five years ago. (laughs) 
Hey, I, I think I heard a pastor um, a couple of weeks ago talk about how it's so much easier to see what God's done when you're looking back than when you're 100%. looking forward. 100%. And I'm, and I'm like, but I'm not supposed to be looking back. I'm supposed to be looking forward. <laughs> Classic Liz. Well, that's yeah. not helpful. <laughs> so, yeah, I... I think it's important sometimes to pause and look backwards. We run so hard, especially in ministry, you run so hard. And, and especially when you have people involved, um, but God doesn't make mistakes. Not yeah, one. Just need the reminders every once in a while. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So 20 years in corporate, still have that drive to serve and offer support and compassion and care to those in your community. And doing that in, you mentioned different campuses throughout Elevation. Can you tell us a little bit now what you are doing um, in care and outreach? So as of last week, last year, a full whole year, um, <laughs> My current um, banking job, they decided to move to Texas, and it was not something um, my daughter and I felt comfortable with where she is. She's an adult, but um, (laughs) I wasn't going to leave her here. She's not that adultish. And so I wanted to stay here, and I wanted to stay planted in my church. It's not something I think people do very often. I think it's the last thing, but um, I had built a life and, and had been working on contract, and so just had some discussions with the people here and they presented me a couple jobs, but the one that really caught my eye because I didn't like it and I wanted to avoid it was benevolence. (laughs) And as a volunteer, I had always kind of avoided the benevolence cases when people walked in because it made me really uncomfortable because I struggled with this wanting to like, you know, pull out my own credit card and fix it all and then Mm. send them on their way. And um, I thought, well, how interesting would it be to build a process for all of our campuses so that no volunteer has to walk into that conversation feeling that way? Or if they do, at least they have some tools to redirect them. Um, And typical Liz, I took the challenge and said, I think that's where I'm supposed to be. I think bringing both, you know, both my knowledge and my experience in, I think it would be a win. And so last year I started kind of tearing apart what our church had set up for benevolence, which was very um, kind of loose. It was a wild, wild west because <laughs> no one really knew how to handle it. Um, and our, our church's main goal is to reach those that are far from Christ anyway. So we, we get a lot of people who are not necessarily always attending our experiences on Sunday, but we get a lot of people who are walking in off the street that aren't connected to our church asking for assistance. And so what are the standards and the processes? And so we started with tearing up the name. I was like, ah, benevolence. I'm an old school Presbyterian. I know what that word means. <laughs> but if half of my volunteers are people far from Christ who were not, you know, churched or grew up in a church, um, that word can be daunting. And so we changed it to crisis care. So when they sign in and they get their name tags, it says crisis care instead of some churchy word that people don't really know what that means. And they're clearly identified. They know what their role is. They're not, you know, there's no question if it falls underneath this crisis care, then then this is what they're, they're taking care of. Um, and so it just kind of started with a, a ground up build of, you know, your words matter. And then, okay, great. Now we're going to go from here and, and do standards. But classic Liz, I took a wrecking ball to it and was like, <laughs> okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to change it all up. I love that. I, Cause that's brave. That's, I think there's, um, some, wisdom but wild wisdom and and risk-taking because because that that concept of benevolence or giving and you know the financial piece of that um there's a lot of strings to that it's not like meals where you can have a small group or a group of families supporting you know out of their own kitchen and then delivering it is in the books it's in the bylaws like like it, it can it policies like there's a lot to benevolence so i think it's really brave of you to be able to be willing to like break it down and build it up and I think it's really helpful for so many people to think, okay, it's a wild, wild west in my church too. So it's nice to know I'm not alone. <laughs> well, and and being in banking, the first thing I did was pull the finance reports. Mm-hmm. And I was like, 
what in the world are we doing? Like it just people are like, well, they were hurting. And I was like, no, we've got to get some better standards here. It just, it was really, again, renaming it because I do mm-hmm. want to care. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want to lose the care. And also growing up, most of the churches I attended were small churches. And I remember like the meal trains and the phone calls and the mm-hmm. prayers, you know, like if you needed prayer, you knew where to go. You would go on Wednesday night and they would pray over you. And then, you know, Miss Smith or whoever would follow up in a couple days and check on you. Like I wanted to bring that mm-hmm. feeling to a larger group of people, but also you know, no, you're not going to go buy a sweater for the dog. Like, you know, there are some standards here <laughs> to what we're doing and, and what care looks like, what does right. real care look like? Right. So, yeah. And something I want to highlight or go a little bit deeper and you mentioned there's standards of care so that when someone is requesting support in one area, it is similar or the same as response as to another area. And a question I get all the time from people is, okay, we can do care in our local church. Like we got, you know, there's some gaps and we're struggling in some areas and, and this or that. But for the most part, we got a decent handle on it, but our church is growing or we want to plant a church. How, what does care look like in a multi-campus environment? And what does care look like um, in a church plant? And I think because you, as in your words, took a wrecking ball to the whole system. <laughs> I love that. And, oh, and are looking at it and are looking at it systemically, like multi-campus sites um, to be able to say, okay, how can we build something from the ground up in a multi-site environment? So um, I feel like you asked a gamut of questions. I don't even know if I asked one question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I felt like 800 questions there and I am like so ready to tackle them all um, because I feel like it's about to get like systems and and thought processes. You and I are going to geek out on this. (laughs) We really are. I'm not sure if anyone else will enjoy this, but you and I who love this are going to geek out on it. (laughs) We only have how long for the podcast? Do we have time for spreadsheets and charts? Um, So... So when you started talking, my first thought was our, mm-hmm. our um, Canada campus because it's international. And I sometimes feel like I, I'm like waving to them over the border like, hey, guys, I want to help you. Um, and they were starting from the ground up. They didn't have, you know, they were still building. And for me, I couldn't put my hands on them like I could with some of our other campuses that are over here on the coast. Um it, it does get a little difficult when you're starting new because you you got to figure out what your standards are. I think um, I am one of those people that I want to figure out my goal. So if my goal for my care team, the very first thing I did is after I made it ruins and wrecked it, was <laughs> I thought through what is the purpose of a care team? What it if I had everything, if I had every resource and I had lo- loads of volunteers and I had lots of outreach partners in the area, what is the goal of the team? And so I came up with about a four or five sentence like mission statement for the team. Um, I think it's important to have some really biblically grounded goals before you even try to build anything. Before I want to talk to a volunteer about joining my team, I need to be able to explain to them what they're joining. I don't want to say, hey, we're making a benevolence or a crisis care team. We're going to build it as we go. I want to present something that's well-made to them so they felt they, they know what their, their role is and they understand what the mission statement is. Um, building up is an interesting thing. You start with a mission statement and then you just start praying and you're looking for partners. Obviously, it's not up to your church to do everything. And I think one of the things at least Elevation does that I've really valued over the mm-hmm. years is recognize that there are nonprofits in every community that are already doing it way better than any of us could. Instead of recreating the wheel or recreating the process, I think it behooves us as the church to start investing and in looking at the nonprofits that are already doing it really well and have for years. 
Um, there's a nonprofit up the street called Crisis Assistance here in Charlotte that has a great process um, for when they pay rent and when they don't pay rent. Mm-hmm. And so if someone comes to me and says, hey, I need help. I'm behind on my rent. I am automatically sending them to that partner right. because they're trained They have a process. They've tested the process way longer than I have. (laughs) They've been around for 50-something years. They get government funds. They get some of our church funds. And and they are way better at looking at all those documents than I am. And so they know their best yes and their best no. And I trust that partner. I have Mm -hmm. what we internally call a care, their care partner. I know that they are going to help us with our crisis care cases. Um, So I think... You know, knowing your nonprofits in the area can help you fill the gaps, especially if you're working in a budget and so forth and so on. Um, And then just taking it. I think God provides. I think when we build, we start to panic. Yes. Um, And (laughs) I think we start going, oh, no, I see all of these gaps. But if you're creating a mission statement and you're praying over it, and if you're creating a... um, care partner, use whatever terminology for your church works best, a care partner list of at least mm-hmm. some partners that you feel really comfortable sending people to. Um, and, and what, you know, what's kind of like the checkbox for your church? Do they, do they need to be a Christian organization or do they need to have biblical values and kind of thinking through that as you're thinking through and building these things and praying like-minded people start coming into your life. God does not, he may, you know, give you a little bit of time frame where you got to test that faith and that belief, but God provides. And I, I especially in a church, it, it blows my mind. I uh, had a campus that was really panicked. They don't have an outreach director. They're kind of like a very small campus. And the campus pastor was like, I just don't think that we're going to have anyone. And I was like, well, first of all, you've got a guest experience team that's already welcoming people when you open the door. They can definitely be taking people's names and numbers and sitting with them and praying with them. That's part of their job. They're, you're, right. you're already winning. You've got half <laughs> of the battle right there. You could talk to your ushers about, you know, praying with people. And I mean, prayer is our greatest weapon. We do not need to like fix it. We could literally just be praying with them and inviting them to your small group or your e-group. You've just handled a crisis care case. Yes. You have a team and you didn't even know it. Like Exactly. Yes. You can equip your people that are already there and yep. then you will find the people that are super passionate about it. You'll find the, you know... Mr. Smith that's standing in the corner still talking four hours later and you need to close the doors and, you know, hey, Mr. Smith, we need to talk to you about the crisis care team. Like, they just start showing up. People want to connect into community. God created us to be interrelational. And so people are wanting to help one another. They want to build. That's one of the reasons small groups work so great because we want to do life together. (laughs) And so you... Connect them to a small group. They would be thrilled. I mean, I have a I have a campus that has a bunch of empty nesters, and they've now changed their name okay. to the Prayer Warriors, <laughs> and they will create their own e-group, which is what we here at Elevation call small groups. They will create e-groups for anyone that comes in and is asking for help and needs a group of friends. And so these ladies are a hoot. They're so funny. (laughs) They call me once or twice every couple weeks and they're like, have you gotten any new prayer requests? Should we create another e-group for anyone so they feel included? Like people will come out of the word work when you start including them. Mm. So don't, don't. Don't cut yourself short just because you don't have a team per se. Look at what who you have around you and task them with just the simple of, hey, our church is going to start caring. Mm-hmm. When people walk in that don't normally walk in or when people walk in and they are hurting, we are going to make this a priority. We're going to stop what we're doing. Mm-hmm. One volunteer or one staff member is going to pull them to the side and have a conversation with them. That's an easy first step win. Yeah. From there, you start building a team Mm. every time. That's amazing. I love that. You don't have to be all things to all people. And you probably have an incredible amount of knowledge and resources within the teams that you already have and the people that are already sitting in those chairs. I love that. Yes. I think I had a church once. My old church used to make a bulletin 
I feel kind of old. It's outdated. <laughs> I apologize. Um, and and it always had all these needs and these volunteer mm-hmm. needs. But you can even make it really personable by having conversations with your small group, mm-hmm. you know, um, that you're leading or another small group and just start having. I've, I have challenged myself to have conversations with all of our departments um, up here at our, our kind of corporate central offices and, and say, hey, we're doing crisis care. I know you didn't know it existed, but it does. And we're looking for really cool people. I just met with the e-groups um, director up here at Central, and I have a bunch of e-group leaders I'm going to follow up with just Amazing. to touch base to see, hey, would you be willing to host a you know, an AA meeting with your team? Would you be willing to do an A? Would you be willing to do a recovery group for divorcees? I mean, there's, there's people in our church that want to help. They, you know, they want to, we just have to find them and pray for them (laughs) and communicate. There you go. It's amazing how people respond to a a request person to person rather than like, a bulletin announcement or a website post or a stage announcement. Those don't work with care. People disqualify mm-hmm. themselves so quickly. And yeah. so having those one-on-one conversations, although time consuming, is extremely rewarding because that's where you really find people. Well, and, and if you're thinking about it, ideally a healthy care team is investing in people, giving the hard no's, they're looking to ensure that we are helping someone, not enabling them, mm-hmm. that you're you're training them, you're, you're training their campus directors and their teams to look at how do we get buy-in, you know, you're reading books like Toxic Charity, you're looking mm-hmm. at all of those, you know, books on, you know, when helping hurts and you're, mm-hmm. you're trying to train your team to do this. If you're doing a stage call or you're sending it out on the website, you could get anyone, you you need to have the one-on-one conversation. The lobby should be your best friend. You should be telling your directors, hang out in the lobby. I, Again, we're lucky because we have outreach teams. And so what I told my directors was, you, you need to be talking to your outreach team. The people that are staying late at the event and trying to like talk to the people, like pay attention at your events. Um, you know, the people that are, are touched when you talk about what the partner does, um, you're looking for the people that continuously want to serve over mm-hmm. and over again at the same organization. That's the one that has a heart and and that's the one that probably has some wisdom mm-hmm. and and it would behoove you to have a conversation with them and see, right. you know, why do you serve so much? You know, tell me about why you keep coming back. We're so excited you do and we could not do this without you. Tell us about why. So and good. you need that to be a one-on-one conversation because you don't want just anyone to be caring. It's a you don't want anybody caring for your congregation. It's a, it's a, what is the word that I always mess up? It's that pastoral care. Um, they're leaders on your, on your campus. They're, they're leaders. And if you're just putting anyone in a leadership position, you're doing more harm than good. Mm. It, it would be better if you didn't have a team at all. Mm. So yeah, as you are correct, you hit the nail right on the head. It is hard to have all those conversations, especially when you have multiple locations mm-hmm. and you're only one person and can only go one place, that's why you invest in a staff member on each mm-hmm. campus. Um, I call them my care staff. And so I have a meeting with them every two weeks and it's, I try not to make it, as you can see, I talk a lot. So I try not <laughs> to make it a long meeting, but it's, it's more like a touch point of, Hey, you're doing great. You're owning it well as you're building your team. Don't forget, hang out in the lobby. Hang out with the connection people Mm -hmm. out there in the lobby and see how they're doing. Heck, steal some of those volunteers. (laughs) (laughs) I am not above stealing from teams. Oh, that's recorded. Um, (laughs) I have like many people calling me now. But it's, you know, hang out with people. Have conversations. It might be not be the person you're having a conversation with, but they might know somebody and they're passing the word along. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, it does require a lot of intention to do it well. Yes, um, We could do it sloppy, 
but that's not helping anyone. And that's just going to have these people coming back over and over again, because they're going to rely on us instead of be able to rely on themselves. I love it. I love it. I'm going to take a quick step back. You said that there was four things that you like to do when you're planting a campus or building into a campus. You had one is create a mission statement. So there's clear communication and you're able to describe what you do well to volunteers. The second one is um, building, looking at partners and care partners or outreach partners for within your community because the church can't be all things to all people. So let's let's grow the capacity to care by building partners. The third one, I'm retrieving or making assumptions that it was look at teams, pray over your people and God will bring in the teams and and be creative in looking at that. We did not get to the fourth or did we? You, we did kind of. So um, when I look at some of these Wild West campuses that are kind of struggling, I'm looking at, do they have the mission statement? Are they communicating it well? Um, are they looking at what resources they already have in their community and partners they're already working with? Um, I always at this point have to remind myself to pray. Um, I'm really great at praying without ceasing. I am not great at praying with intention, if that makes any sense. Jesus and I have kind of, you would have put me in the loony bin. I, there are many times I'm sitting at my desk going, all right, God, what are we doing? I don't understand what's going on. I, I talk to God all the time, but there's very few times I have to remind myself, rephrase, mm-hmm. I have to remind myself to pause mm-hmm. and really pay attention to what I'm praying over um, and and I, a lot of times I'll ask the director to fast with me for a week of, hey, we're struggling to fill this team. We want to build this team. Um, I think before we start going and searching, it would be good for the two of us to fast and take about a week to reset. And so pray is probably my third step okay. of, you know, of, of some sort of fast. And sometimes it's just coffee. Sorry. But, you know, just something where it's intentional of have you prayed about it and, and talking to the director that week of, OK, we're looking for people. Let's pray today. Let's pray for intentional people mm-hmm. today. Let's, you know, let's read over this article and pray for people that have this kind of mindset. So being a little thinking through it and praying with God so that we're one accord, but also being mindful of what we're looking for. It helps us to be mindful what we're looking for. And then my fourth one is total lobby and volunteer hawking. Mm. I am all about (laughs) (laughs) straight up bold. (laughs) I'm going to be there. Um, I, my first thing, I'm there when setup is. I'm telling directors to get there when setup is. I'm telling them to go like check out outreach events. You know, if you're go if you're serving with crisis assistance, like we mentioned, and you need someone for your your crisis care team, I'm going to crisis assistance. That's their whole job. Mm. Any outreach events, I'm he- I'm heading over there to see who had a passion for it. If we're serving at a shelter, I'm going there because somebody has to have a passion to go serve dinner at a at a shelter especially at night. I'm just saying you have to have a real heart for Jesus to do that. And so I'm looking for the, first of all, I'm looking for the uncomfortable events and I'm going to go like, check them out. I'm at the church lobby. I'm, I'm telling my directors all the time, Hey, you know, talk to the connection people. We have a, a team of people that are basically hosts and they're greeting people at the door and they're connecting people to either a small group or, you know, outreach events. That's their whole volunteer role. I'm hanging out with the connection people because they're meeting all sorts Mm -hmm. of people. They know everybody on campus and I'm talking to connection person A about, hey, we're trying to build this care team. We want to care for the people that are coming in our doors. We want to care well for the people that are already sitting in our seats. And to do that, I'm only one person. To do that, Mm -hmm. I, I need a team. And suddenly, connector A is going, oh, well, did you talk to so and so? And did you talk to so and so? And actually, that sounds interesting. I like making meals. You know, I could, I could maybe help with that. And next thing you know, you're, you're building a team from word of mouth. Does it happen instantly? No. Sometimes we repeat, (laughs) sometimes we repeat the prayer and the hawking multiple times. And I mean, obviously caring for volunteers can be tricky. We're not paying them. And so we have to ensure that we're honoring their time Mm -hmm. and, and caring for other people as a volunteer, if you're not setting good, healthy paces and good boundaries can be draining. So Mm -hmm. there are, I mean, in the last year, I know we've had quite a few people who've, you know, stepped out of the role. We've had new people step in. It's just an ever revolving door. Um, 
And that's the it, nature of care. That is the nature. Is. I was going to try and say it no, nicer. <laughs> it is the nature of care. People think, you know, it's not like it's kids ministry where you're like, I need a commitment for a year or I need mm-hmm. a commitment for whatever. It, it That's really tricky to do in care. And so it'd be a lot to expect on any volunteer, like you said. And if it's a new campus or a new church plant, then, you know, that's, a, that could, you know, one year is, can be a lifetime. A lifetime sometimes. Correct. So, and, yeah. And also, it's also that balance of what is the staff person do you want to give volunteers to do? Mm-hmm. Um, we have a campus that gets, uh, last year alone, got over 160 crisis care requests. Um, and she has a massive team. She's got about 20 people. They had a horrific rape case kind of come across the board. And it and the staff person decided not to give it to the volunteers and she owned it and took it. And she actually asked the, the pastor to step in and help out with that, which was a wise choice. But you have to also learn as you're going along, like, is this something I, this is, is this something as a staff person, as the person who chose ministry as their job? This is what I'm being fed. This is how God cares for me. This is what God's called me to do. Do I need to step into this? Or is this something I can give my volunteers? You have to think of that to honor them really well. And you will keep them longer if you're caring about what they're they're putting their fingers in. Does that, am I explaining that well? No, that totally makes sense. And I I, I like that. Um, I think it's really good with like wise encouragement for people. Um, Because I could take half a day off. They cannot. Exactly. I need to go step away for a little bit or go pop into a therapist. I can. That's my job. And so they cannot. They have to go and they face their, their lives and their children's and and it, it it can leave us it can leave a mark and then you're gonna burn them out faster. So I just wanna ask one last quick question and dig in a little bit deeper on something that you said. And it was talking about that you meet with your campus directors every two weeks to, um, you talked about it as being a touch point. Can you kind of expand on why that is and then what you do while you're doing that? Because I think it's really valuable when you think about that. Of course, you want to connect with your team, um, but what is the intentional purpose of that? So that actually comes from a conviction I had as a volunteer when I was leading a team as a volunteer. Um, I was... Frequently, you'll hear me say I'm corporating it. You know, I'm, I send everybody an email. This is what you need to do. Do it. Just do it. You love Jesus. Just do it. Um, and my director at the time was like, whoa, Liz, you do know we're not paying these people. And you do know that, like, just like we're not paying you at the time. And and you do have to, like, be nice to them. Like, at least be friendly. You're you're Every free moment you have, you're hanging out with these people. At least be friendly with them. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> what? Just do your job. And and I had a great lesson on on caring for people. I it, overusing the word probably a little bit, but you know, um, investing in my team and connecting with them. And it was a great life lesson for me personally. It was something that didn't come naturally. I thought, well, if we're serving together, then obviously we're friends. Duh. I asked you if you wanted dinner. I gave you a sandwich. And now we're going to go back and break down boxes. This is great, right? We're friends. Um, And realizing that not everybody saw that like that. And so it's something that as I developed as a leader, I tried to be intentional and safe space. Um, I'm the leader that still sends cards. I love writing two or three cards every couple of weeks to my, you know, different team members about how great they did or some kind of encouragement. Um, I do it on purpose. It's not something it's like, oh, I love to write. It's it's resetting me to think about my team and be intentional about how great they're doing, focusing on the positives. I'm very quick to be, hey, we missed this mark. Hey, we need to work on this. Next time, do this. Am I also focusing on how great they are? And so this is where the, the two, sometimes three-week touch point comes from. We try to do a team meeting as an outreach team. Um, every two weeks. And then I try to do um, either one-on-ones or a text message or a phone call. So I have a rolling list on my desk of Mm -hmm. all my care directors. And I, you know, go down the list and check on them, you know, had one that just had a baby. So we checked on him and also checked on his wife because God bless her. She's a (laughs) saint. And they have a lot of kids. You know, I have one that just got a new permanent building and he's super excited. It would behoove me 
to remember such a momentous moment for him and, and to celebrate with him. Um, it makes it, 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 it brings you closer together. And it also gives a freedom to go, hey, did you see that budget line item I sent you? And, you know, let's talk about it. How do you feel about it? Um, and so you couple that, that, that life challenge or that life lesson that I learned a few years ago with when I came on board, the biggest request was training. We don't know what to do. We want a flow chart. When someone will ask for rent assistance, what do we do? What's the right yes? What's the wrong yes? What do we, and then I'm like, eh, hey, people are messy. That's not how this works. This team doesn't have a flow chart for when someone asks for money for their power bill or when the single mom comes in and says that they don't have a place to stay. There's no flow chart. There's no spreadsheet. There's no click yes answer here. It gets messy. You have to sit with them and you have to have conversations with them and you need to be intentional about the suggestions you offer. And so training a group of people who are not therapists, they're not, you know, we're not hiring therapists to be, you know, our outreach directors at all these campuses. And some of them have not experienced half of the trauma that people are walking in the door. God has been so good. They're, you know, they're not recovering addicts. They've never been homeless and, and, you know, they've never been abused in certain ways. And that doesn't mean they haven't had trauma. I'm just saying on average, Mm -hmm. they don't, you know, understanding these situations is kind of foreign to them. And so that requires, if you want to train that type of people, you that requires a personal investment Mm -hmm. and that requires some kind of touch point in conversation every couple of weeks. Hey, tell me about the hardest case you had. What, what happened? You know, how did you feel about it? What did you, what kind of action plan did you make? What, what buy-in did you have from them? Did you connect them back to our church? That requires multiple conversations mm-hmm. to give them language that they can use when they're in hard conversations. That gives them um, encouragement to know that when they mess up, it's okay. Um, it also helps them learn from their mistakes because if no one's, you know, investing in you, you could be messing up and nobody would know because <laughs> no one's asking you. So it it helps it, it a makes me intentional. It reminds me that even though things are running smooth, if it, and I can't see them, I still need to be checking on them. Mm-hmm. Life continuously happens. Um, it also helps feed them some really great terminology to use because my job is to be researching this all the time. And so I'm having the conversations and it's part of my vocabulary. And that's a great teachable moment when you can bring it in together. Um, it also gives them a space to not feel so alone. Caring for people, especially as the leader, leadership can be very lonely. Mm-hmm. And so having somebody say, hey, you're right, that was hard, and I, I'm so sorry, um, makes it a little bit easier, even if we're not in the same state or even the same country. Knowing that someone has your back mm-hmm. makes it easier to walk into the next conversation. And so that's my goal, is to have their back in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So that's you providing care for your team as your team yeah. provides care for its congregation. Yep. And hopefully it trickles down. I find that when I'm being really well cared for, I can care for my team better. And so I think that's probably your secret sauce. You know, thing is, is you know, if I'm caring for you and I, I'm helping you feel good, then you can go back into the fight, into the battle, um, refreshed, and you can do the same for your volunteers. Mm it's important. That's amazing. So when you think back to um, when you were first starting, when you were volunteering at every break that you had and, and Emily was young and, you know, coming out of the trauma and coming out of um, the cloud that was your early life in your early years If you could think back to that time and if you could send yourself a letter or a voicemail or an email, knowing what you know now, knowing the goodness of God, knowing his favor, knowing that his plan, if you could go back and send yourself an email or a voicemail, what would you tell yourself? (laughs) I would write myself a war and peace novel. (laughs) You'd say a lot. (laughs) Avoid a couple pizzas. (laughs) There's so many things. I think if if it has to be wise, um, I think it's it's 
to remind myself that there's there's a purpose. Um, I'm so anti-cliches. I hate this little churchy saying. I can but, feel one coming on. <laughs> yeah, it's totally coming. There's purpose in the pain and and there's there's an end in sight and and you too can be used. Mm. Um, I think at that time period, I, I did not understand and I truly didn't feel like I was qualified to do anything, you know, pack a hygiene kit, um, be in the same room as a lot of people from in our church. And I think just remembering that God loves me too, and that there's a reason for it. And you don't always have to see it to believe it kind of thought process. Ah, oh, so many cliches. <laughs> I, I, you know, okay, just buck up. You know, I just, God, God has a plan and it's not Liz's time zone. It's on God's time zone and God's time zone is perfect. Mm. And, and everything matters. Every little piece, every audit I did in banking and hard dealer phone conversations and contracts I reviewed, um, and training manuals I created for the bank um, is going to be used for God's good. And so it's easy to sit here and say that. And, you know, and it's hard to remember every day. But I think that's what that would be the most pressing thing is that, you know, next couple chapters will tell you what to change so you don't have so much pain. But the opening chapter would be there's a reason and and God is. God's calling doesn't look always like the 20 year old. Sometimes it's a few years later down in life and, but it's still a good calling. So that's kind of a wordy thing. Can I like rewrite my letter later when I'm. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a fantastic answer because so many people are listening right now going, okay, waiting for their calling to start or feeling Mm -hmm. unqualified or feeling not worthy. And so by you saying that they're like, they're, they're feeling heard and they're feeling seen. Thank you for sharing. I just, I don't think I ever would have imagined where I am today, but I also know that all of those years of things put me here on purpose. Like it's, it's easy to discount yourself, but just the next step, the next thing, the next step. Yeah. That would be my, that would be my short letter. I love it. Well, thank you so much. It has been amazing. It's always wonderful to chat with you and thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. I love hanging out with you, friend. Thank you so much for asking me. Hey, thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard into action today. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care, both for yourself as a leader and for those who you lead, others in your church and in on your team? And don't forget to check out the show notes for all those links. And of course, if you want to be reminded when an episode goes live, make sure you follow. Thanks for connecting. Take care.